This is the Internet Ballers Podcast, episode 38. This is the Internet Ballers Podcast with your host, Michael Pasha, the show for internet entrepreneurs who want to learn how uncertainty and struggle turn into confidence and success. Welcome to the Ballers Circle. Thanks for listening and welcome to the Baller Circle. I'm Michael Pasha, the host of the Internet Ballers Podcast, and today I'm excited to welcome Misha Wilson from the Super Affiliate Network to the Baller Circle. Misha is well known as the youngest and fastest growing traffic and conversion expert on the internet. He is known for his abilities to bring large amounts of traffic wherever he wants and then convert that traffic into high ticket sales and loyal followings. After getting started online at the age of 23, He soon after hit the six-figure mark at the age of 24 and scaled his company to a multi-million dollar mark by the age of 25. After being a top earner in multiple different opportunities and watching 97% of all his teammates fail due to not being able to duplicate his efforts, Misha saw a gap in the marketplace and thus began the Super Affiliate Network. Misha, I'm so glad to have you on the show. Your story sounds amazing and I think resonates with uh, with with what so many other people are struggling with uh, and what so many people want to figure out, like how did you kind of navigate this path and really come out on the end? I mean, you know, you, you were able to do, as you, you know, said uh, what 97% of your, your teammates weren't able to do. Let's uh, let's let's kind of take a step back and dig through your story a little bit. What how, how did you get your start online and what struggles did you go through uh, in the process of trying to build your business? Awesome. Well, hey, thank you for having me on, Michael. And uh, yeah, it's an honor. I think that story sounds almost a little bit too good to be true. And when you look at it from that perspective and kind of the time frames that you threw out, it's true. But also you have to look at the fact that when I got started, I was a lot different than most people that I got started and I dove in completely and totally head first. And I was kind of a little bit obsessed with it from day number one. So for the last, you know, almost three years now, two and a half, three years, it's been, you know, 12 hour days, pretty much all the time, taking some weekends off for some fun every now and then. But I've just put a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of energy into learning marketing, into learning internet marketing and sales and persuasion and uh, the tactics and the strategies necessary. And I failed, you know, a lot more than I succeeded. I failed probably four or five times as much as I've gone ahead and succeeded. But those few successes that I've had have kind of had, you know, a big enough impact in order to propel my business to the level that it's now at. And that, you know, is something that I didn't see coming. I didn't see it happening as quickly as it did, especially over the last six months or so. But uh, it's a blessing. And yeah, it's kind of like the key to success is just failing over and over and over and over again and sticking with it and staying persistent, staying consistent. And, uh, you know, continuing to refine skill sets, I'd say. Awesome. So yeah. let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about some of those struggles that you mentioned. Now, I know that, um, you know, you, uh, the, the stories that I've heard and that you've, I've heard you tell before, uh, you talk about, um, you know, you, you went through struggles of, you know, buying other people's courses and, and finding out that these things didn't necessarily work out the way that you had planned. Uh, if you, if you kind of look at where you are now versus where you were then, uh, is there anything that you noticed that uh, you you could have done differently to to prevent that? Um, well, I mean, I think 
it's a tricky situation because you have to, there's a fine line between investing yourself and you always have to be investing yourself. You always have to be, you know, continuing to grow your own intellectual capital. But then at the same time, you have to be consistently taking action on everything you learn. So my personal formula now that if I would have kind of adapted and started using much earlier is that I make myself output and I make myself produce 80% of the time while I consume information and I learn new strategies and I learn new tactics 20% of the time. Hmm. And for me, it was the first six months was more or less learning, 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 and investing money on, you know, information products, traffic, campaigns, um, just kind of anything that I could get my hands on out there in the marketplace, which as you probably know, you can buy quite a few different products, quite a few different opportunities. And I went through the whole shiny object syndrome, and I never really took enough action for the amount of information I was consuming. And when I realized that, when kind of the flip switched from consuming, 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 consuming into producing, 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 producing. Of course, based on that knowledge, based on the intellectual capital that I had built up over the course of, you know, six months of just nonstop study, that's when things started to pick up for me and picked up pretty quickly and uh, things started to turn around. So I would say that you have to always be investing in yourself, and that's kind of one of the keys to success in anything. But then at the same time, you have to always be taking action on those skill sets because what you find, excuse me, on those teachings, what you find is that you don't really know anything until you take action on it and actually learn through experience. And so, yeah, that was really what changed it all for me. And if I wanted to go back in time, I would just get myself taking action much more quickly and a much more higher percentage of the time. Hmm. Okay. That makes sense. So when you think about the other people that uh, you've seen try their hand at, at internet marketing and, and they have not been as successful, what do you think sets you apart? What do you think uh, a lot of people who are trying to do this are doing wrong? Well, I think it's a couple of different things. I think people don't really, firstly, they just don't put in the work necessary, right? So I think having a history in athletics and having a history of playing pretty serious competitive athletics had taught me about work ethic and taught me about what it actually took to really kind of propel at an activity, right? So when I stepped into internet marketing, I mean, even at the beginning when I was just learning, I still took that work ethic upon myself to learn everything I possibly could, right? So I was working really hard at learning the skill sets for the first six months. And then once that switched, you know, I was producing, 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 and I was doing it a lot more than most other people. So in our marketplace, I feel like most of the people just don't work hard enough, firstly. And then secondly, I feel like lots of people in the marketplace kind of approach it from the wrong angle, and they tend to ask themselves the wrong questions. And when they ask the wrong questions, even if they get the solutions to the questions that they're asking, it's not really the result that they're looking for, right? So I think in our industry, a lot of people are just kind of in the state of mind where it's how do I make more money now? How do I you know, make that next sale in the next two hours? How do I make a thousand bucks this week? And even if you answer those questions and even if you do make a thousand dollars next week, right? If you don't have a real business foundation, if you don't have real products and services that actually solve problems for people and help people, you don't really have a sustainable foundation that you can build upon, right? So 
I think one thing that I was lucky enough to get through just having great mentors was that I needed to ask the right questions. I needed to figure out what I actually wanted to do for my business from the perspective of what problems do I actually want to solve for people? What services do I want to provide? And how can I actually add value to people's lives? And when I started answering those questions and then doing that at scale with my business, that's when everything kind of turned around really quickly and then continued to just kind of climb from there. Awesome. So at what point did you realize you needed a mentor? And how did you determine, uh, I guess, the right criteria to use to find that, that right mentor for you? Yeah, well, I think that was maybe one of the blessings from having a history with sports. So I played tennis really seriously as a junior. And uh, I remember my tennis career was always pretty good. And then I got a mentor, I got a coach who really knew what he was doing. And my tennis, you know, the results in that area, you know, went through the roof and happened very quickly, just based on being able to tap into his knowledge, right? So I had already experienced the power of tapping into mentorship in a different area of my life in tennis. And so when I came into the online world, that wasn't something that I looked past. And that was something that I already understood the value of, right? So I immediately, I didn't necessarily go out and hire a personal coach from day number one because I didn't have the resources and have, you know, a bunch of money laying around when I was first getting started. But I immediately knew the value of getting good knowledge from people who have accomplished what I'm looking to accomplish and then just tapping into that knowledge, right? So I did. I purchased a bunch of information products from the Elite Marketing Pro guys. I purchased a bunch of information products from Dagan Smith, who was another person who had both accomplished what I was looking to accomplish and then had also helped a bunch of people along the way accomplish something that I was looking to accomplish. And I just went through that information really diligently and I applied pretty much everything I learned, or at least once I started applying, I started seeing results, right? Mm -hmm. But the mindset of needing a coach and the mindset of needing guidance and the mindset of needing mentorship, I always understood that from day number one based on my tennis career. So yeah, from day number one, I knew the value of it. Okay. That's awesome. So what would you say to someone who, let's say they've hired a coach before, right? Or they bought some products and they didn't work out for them. Um, how do you, I guess, work through, um, I say disappointment and setbacks and especially if you feel like, I don't know, you've been burned before, right? I'm sure there's some people out there who may have hired a coach and they feel like they didn't get the value from that coaching relationship. How do you, how do you get back on that horse? Well, I think it starts with before ever hiring a coach, doing your due diligence in who the person is that you're looking to hire, right? Mm -hmm. So do they have a track record? Have they not only been successful themselves, but have they also helped other people be successful, right? So you want to take some time and actually before you invest any real money, you want to figure out whether they're the real deal. And then once you do figure that out, usually you don't encounter that problem, right? And even if you do encounter a situation where, you know, maybe you feel like I've been to one mastermind that comes to the top of my head and I had spent a good chunk of change to be there and I went and I knew pretty much everything that the guys were presenting at that mastermind. But instead of feeling like I was ripped off, what that did to me was it gave me the confidence that I could actually go out and host those masterminds, right? So it actually gave me extreme value because it kind of gave me validation 
in the sense that I now knew I was ready to step into that next kind of leadership role. And uh, sometimes you need that in order to move forward. So I would say that as long as you do your due diligence and actually look at who you're potentially thinking about hiring and actually do research on them and understand that they know what they're talking about and uh, have a track record of not only being successful themselves, but then also helping people be successful, you usually won't run into that. And if you do, you kind of have to look at how can you get value out of you know the experience, even if it's maybe not the value that you intended to get setting out in the first place. So that's kind of been my experience with that. So when you first started building your business and, uh, and making money online, before, before the super affiliate network, uh, you were selling uh, affiliate products for other people, correct? Correct. I was selling affiliate products for Elite Marketing Pro, and I was involved with Dagon System, and I got started with you know a couple other systems and did pretty all right with those as well. So yes, I was reselling affiliate products and uh, license rights packages, that whole deal. And uh, that was kind of the bridge that I could walk across until I had my own products and services to go ahead and sell. At what point did you realize you know you had crossed that threshold and it was time to build your own your own products? Well, that's kind of one of those things where it's I don't think you necessarily realize it yourself. You can. Some people do, I guess. But for me, it was I got on a late night consult on Skype with Dagan actually one night, and he more or less, in his exact words, said, "Stop selling other people shit." <laughs> and he said. <laughs> create an offer and get your own products together and stop selling other people's crap because it's not helping your business. And he just kind of told me point blank. And I think the difference between me and a lot of other people that Dagan maybe worked with is that like the next week or two weeks from there, I had my product up and ready and completed. Right. So speed to implementation based on what mentors actually tell you to do is huge. But I think it's really more of a mindset type deal where if you feel like you're ready to create your product, you're probably maybe waiting too long. You've probably actually should have already created your product, you know, three, six, 12 months ago where, I mean, what the, I can't think of the exact quote, but it's more or less if the first time you do something, you're comfortable, you waited too long, right? Hmm. And I think it's kind of that mindset that you have to take when creating your own products, when creating your own offers, because the sooner you can do it, the faster your business will grow and uh, the more leverage you'll have, the more cash flow you'll have. And yeah, you'll just have an advantage over everybody else because when you have your own products, you get paid every single night versus having to wait for an affiliate commission in the mail every 30 days, right? You also get 100% commissions. So you have much more leverage and you can scale much more quickly. Okay. So you've been super successful. You've learned a ton. You have been uh, successful with selling other people's products. You decide to start your own. Uh, So let's talk about the super affiliate network. What is it and how does it work? Yeah. Well, I mean, just to give like a little bit more of a backstory too, Mm -hmm. like you've kind of talked about successes, but it is honestly true that I failed a whole hell of a lot. So I don't want people to listen to this and then just kind of think that it was a overnight success story type deal. I got myself, you know, near ten thousand dollars in debt, nine thousand seven hundred and fifty-five dollars in debt. Uh, doing exactly what you talked about: buying, you know, product after product after product, not taking action, not seeing results, 
And I think it was just because I compressed time into the two and a half years and I put so much effort and so much energy into those two and a half years that I was able to kind of grow and scale the way I have been able to. But um, yeah, just kind of to step back because I don't want people to think that by any stretch of the imagination, it was an overnight success story. I put in, you know, countless hours and a lot of hard work and I fail way more than I succeed. So I actually forget your original question, but you kind of framed the question in a way that I felt people may feel, you know, may not, may not understand that. So as long as people right, understand right. that, we can move on. Yeah. And, and I, I appreciate you clarifying that. I mean, I think that that's such a important thing um, because I think, you know, every single person who is successful, um, you know, when you really dig into their story, there, there comes a time and there was a time where they've failed again and again and again. And usually, unfortunately, a lot of times when you hear people talk about their story, they start the story after all those failures are over. They start the story when they start to succeed. And then it makes it seem like just out of nowhere, they were just like this overnight success. Um, and I think it's really, really important to illustrate all those failures because then people who are trying to come up themselves realize, Hey, you know, if I'm failing right now or I'm struggling, I'm no different than all the people who succeeded. I just have to keep trying, have to keep working toward this um, instead of assuming that, you know, if, if I don't get this right away, then, I, then this is not for me and I should give up. So thanks for that clarification. I appreciate it. Yeah. And what people don't see with those stories, too, is I can frame the story as, you know, it started when I was 23, hit six figures by the time I was 24, then scaled to multiple seven figures by the time I was 25. But if you really look at it, I got started when I was 23. I failed completely and totally just wholesomely for the first six months. I got evicted from one of the houses I lived in. I had to move halfway across the country and live in a tiny little room in the middle of New Mexico with one of my buddies just to be able to pay, you know, the $380 rent bill over there. And then like three months into that, I couldn't even afford that tiny little $380 rent bill. But after I figured out a few things and after anybody on this call, when you figure out the right things to implement and take action, a lot of action strategically, things can move really quickly, right? So the first six months were by no stretch of the imagination fun or enjoyable, but it was just the fact that I didn't quit, I think, was kind of the differentiator. So yeah, tons of failure was definitely uh, mixed into that story for sure. <laughs> so, so what is the Super Affiliate Network? Yeah, so the Super Affiliate Network, I was promoting different people's products and I was promoting different people's services. And I remember I was like the one guy who was doing things a little bit differently than everybody else. I remember actually one of the guys over at Elite Marketing Pro saying that I was like the only guy in the top 10 on the leaderboards doing things differently and all their other affiliates were doing things the exact same way. Hmm. And when I really stepped back and looked at it, I felt like what I was doing was more simple than what they were doing, right? And, uh, you know, the Super Affiliate Network was my attempt to bring my knowledge and what I was doing differently than the other affiliates out there to the marketplace in a way that would simplify things and make things, you know, really easy to grasp based on step-by-step -step training. And then at the same time, give people more offers to promote, more you know products to resell if they chose to do that themselves. So it was me branching out and creating my own system instead of just products, but then also me giving specific and concise training that would take someone from 
the beginner level to generating their first sale and then giving them the information to scale from there if they want to continue to do so. And, you know, to use the strategies that I, were, I was using that, to be honest, were just more simple than what most other people were using. So I think that's why, I mean, it's hard to put kind of a dime on why it works so well and why we grew so quickly, but I think that's probably why things happen quickly and I think that's why people like it a lot because yeah step by step training and uh how to how to not do all the complicated stuff you know <laughs> <laughs> so let, let's talk about that a little bit so everyone's doing things that are more complicated clearly I think everyone would love to have a more simplified process can you talk about any specifics of what were other people doing that you were able to skip or or, or not do and still find success yeah so I think most people are tapping into Facebook right now, and I have nothing against Facebook. Most people are using PPV for traffic campaigns, or at least the people that I was working with beforehand were. And those are both awesome traffic strategies, and if you're good at those, keep using them, of course. But what I had gotten really good at was solo ad marketing, and that's something that Dagan was really good at, and I learned from him. And solo ad marketing, it's extremely simple once you take the time to build relationships, because more or less what a solo ad is, is you go out and you make a relationship with someone who already has an email list, right? And then you pay them to send your ad to their email list and you build your list through them actually sending your ad out to their list, right? So it's really instead of being super analytical and super techie, like I felt a lot of the various traffic strategies were, it's more relationship building that really brings the value and makes it work well. And that's something that I think a lot more people can do or at least begin to do without getting intimidating, right? So it was bringing that traffic strategy to the forefront of my members' minds and then also giving them a system to go out and promote that would also work with that traffic strategy because a lot of people don't kind of – a lot of people will run a solo ad to an offer that isn't built for a solo ad and it won't convert well and then they'll blame solo ads or vice versa, right? They'll run a Facebook ad to an offer that's supposed to be you know, designed for a different medium of traffic and that Facebook ad won't convert well and then they'll blame that traffic source. So it was me both teaching them how to use solo ads, which simplifies the process and then also giving them a system that would convert well with that traffic source that I think allowed a lot of people to have success with it very quickly. Okay. So, so what kind of things convert well with, uh, with solo ads versus, let's say, a Facebook ad? Yeah. So as an example, Facebook I'm not as familiar with, right? Mm -hmm. But as an example, if you're using, let's say, a sales page where it's someone on the sales page speaking for 10 minutes into a camera and then it's long form, you know, copy with a couple of buttons at the bottom, that's not going to convert well for cold traffic, right? But then if you look at the pre-frame and if you look at if that person came from a YouTube video, so let's say just, let's say the guy's Mike on the sales page, right? If Mike has that sales page with a 10 minute video and then copy on that sales page with a couple buttons at the bottom, if someone clicks a YouTube ad, watches a five-minute video of Mike, and that's the pre-frame, right? And then they're brought over to that sales page, which is a 10-minute video of Mike with long-form copy, that's going to convert pretty well. 
based on that pre-frame and based on the fact that the only people hitting that sales page have already watched the video of Mike on YouTube, right? Right. But then if you send extremely cold traffic to that exact same sales page, so if you send a solo ad to it, if you send, you know, Bing PPV to it, or not Bing PPV, excuse me, Bing PPC or PPV, that might not convert as well based on the fact that the pre-frame isn't there and it's colder traffic. Mm. So those are just kind of some of the mistakes. But I guess my point was I think why people are seeing success with it is because the offer is congruent with what the traffic medium you know, works best with. So that's interesting because I, I, I think a lot of people um, aren't using solo ads. But one thing I have noticed, and, and I think this is just uh, maybe a, a shift in the marketplace because I've noticed a lot of people whose lists that, I, that I'm on who typically would send out emails promoting their own products – have been doing a lot more joint ventures and partnerships with other people. Uh, and I guess, I, I, would that be considered a solo ad? Yeah, that's a solo ad. So okay. the only difference is a JV is, you know, I'll send to your list if you send to, you know, or I'll send to my list if you send to your list. Where a solo ad, you just pay someone, you know, $200, $1,000 to send to their list, right? So instead of you sending to your list, you just pay them to send to their list. So it's more or less the same thing, just a different payoff for them, right? Okay. So, uh, yeah. so, in, so as part of the Super Affiliate Network, you're showing people how to do solo ads, or you also show them, like, how to find the right uh, partnerships? Or are you providing them with partnerships? How does that work? Yeah, so we do quite a few things for people. We show them how to go out and find the right people in order to go ahead and tap into. We kind of walk them through the process of how you should communicate with them, what you should look for in a vendor, um, what specifics you want to identify with a vendor in order to move forward and purchase from them. And then we'll also give them a list of vendors that are proven to convert that I've actually tested for my own business that convert. And then if they actually want to tap into our monthly co-ops, we have monthly co-ops where we run, we run the traffic campaigns for them so they can focus on more of kind of the high leverage activities, the follow-up, the relationship building, the uh, actual sales process, right? Mm -hmm. So whether they want to learn it themselves or whether they want us to do it for them, we have options for kind of anybody in that spectrum. Okay. So the companies that have these uh, these lists are they are they t typically uh, companies that they're just good at building lists and they build the lists specifically to uh, sell the the list to people who want to run solo ads or is it typically someone that you know they just happen to have a popular business they may be selling their own products but on top of that as an, as an additional revenue stream they're also doing solo ads. It's both. So that's one of the things you want to look at when you're selecting vendors. And it's not that one necessarily will convert better than the other. I mean, of course, if someone has a really warm list, they're always building a relationship with. And if they have a name in the industry and if they're a thought leader, right, that will convert better. And you'll have to pay more for that. But then at the same time, if you're paying much less for an ad that's going out to someone's list who is specifically building their list to you know, sell solo ads, if you do it right and if you ask the right questions and if you still qualify that person correctly and if you incentivize them to you know, send traffic in an ethical way to your link, you can still get a positive ROI with that type of list. But yeah, that's a great question. It's both. Okay. Yeah. So let's take a let's take another step back in time a little bit, and maybe even I mean there there may be some things even to talk about uh, about today. But I know a lot of things that um, that people who are new uh, 
struggle with is limiting beliefs. And then also, uh, I've even seen a lot of people who are veterans in the business who are, let's say, changing strategies or coming out with a new product or something like that. Those limiting beliefs kind of come up again when they're, you know, kind of venturing into a new territory. Did you have any limiting beliefs that you had to overcome? Oh yeah, they're endless. <laughs> what, what do you What do you do? What's your What's the uh, Misha strategy for for getting over limiting beliefs? So I think, I mean, to be honest, I think probably what's pushed me forward through limiting beliefs is the fact that if I have a limiting belief and I don't take action based on that limiting belief, I really don't think I'd be able to forgive myself. Or if I take action based on that limiting belief and then fail, I can at least forgive myself, right? So I look at it from that perspective and I look at the fact that if I don't get out there and actually try something based on some internal resistance that I have, I'm not going to feel too good about myself. Where if I try something and I fail, I can always retry and adjust and kind of maneuver from there, right? But I would say that's kind of the thing that's kept me going. And then at the same time, I mean, you always want to be feeding your mind and feeding, you know, the positive kind of side of the equation. So I'm always listening to podcasts. I'm always reading books. I'm always intaking information, you know, stories of other people who have had success because like I said, I fail a lot more than I succeed. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, just kind of out from left field, but also in the context of what you're asking, something that helped give me more confidence and something that a lot of marketers don't really like to talk about because it's kind of not the, uh, it's actually like the easiest thing to do, but it's one of those things where people like to skip over it was when be, when I kind of got a real intimate feeling for who the marketplace was and who my potential customers were and what they wanted, that actually gave me a bunch of confidence that I could go out and create offers and create systems that they'd actually want to buy, right? So I think a certain level of confidence comes with knowing who your market is and knowing exactly how to speak to them and knowing exactly how to present an offer to them. And that's something that just kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum didn't necessarily help me overcome limiting beliefs, but it did give me more confidence, which led to more action, which led to more results, right? Mm -hmm. So things do get easier if you actually spend the time to do market research and you actually spend the time to drill down on what your business actually, you know, who your business is actually serving, which problems actually need solving in the marketplace, how to create an offer that, you know, is compelling and resonates with the person in the marketplace. When you answer those questions and when you're clear on who you're speaking to with your marketing, I found that kind of inherently confidence comes along with that. So yeah, do your market research, I guess. So what what uh, what steps do you have in uh, the market research process? How do you drill down to make sure that you're one targeting the right audience, uh, and two you're providing a product uh, that that actually fills some sort of a void? Yeah, it's a good question. So there's a few books I've read. Uh, the Ultimate Sales Letter it has a list of like I think the seven questions you want to answer, and it's like what keeps them awake at night. What's their biggest secret desire? What's their top daily frustration? Do they buy based on emotional, you know, logic, opportunistic? Like what, what's the built-in bias for your marketplace making a decision when it comes to purchasing, right? So the ultimate sales letter for actually getting those questions, and that's by Dan Kennedy. So you can go out and answer them. 
And then if you just spend time where your target market is, so if you go to the Warrior Forum, if you search on Google Internet Marketing Forums, and that's what's kind of nice about it. Everything else it's producing, it's typing, it's hosting webinars, it's presenting the offer, it's writing copy. But the market research portion of the equation, it's actually you just kind of sitting back and being aware of where your market's at mentally, right? So if you spend time on YouTube channels of people in your niche, if you spend time on blogs of people in your niche, if you spend time you know, on the Warrior Forum as an example, also a book called How to Get Super Rich in the Opportunity Marketplace, that's probably one of the best books for actually knowing who the opportunity marketplace is, the marketplace that me and you are in, and how to create offers that actually serve those people, right? And those resources, those forums, that book, when you spend the time on those forums and you actually have those questions in front of you that are in Dan Kennedy's book, The Ultimate Sales Letter, and you take, t- take the time to answer those questions, you'll get a feeling for what they want, right? And then after you have a feeling for what they want, it's about going out and actually looking at what the competition's doing. So if you take, for an example, if you want to sell, or I won't name specific products, but as an example, if you want to sell a traffic product, right, and you know there's 10 other people selling traffic products in the industry that are going to be similar to the offer that you're going ahead and looking to present, what you want to do is you want to go out and either print out all their sales letters, or if it's a video sales letter, get them transcribed and then print them out. You want to read them all, and you just really kind of want to do research on them all. And you want to both look for the commonalities, but then you also want to look for a value gap that you can fill, right? Hmm. So what you'll find is that most people out there are presenting the same thing with you know little differences and you know a different preframe or kind of in a different context. And if you can find that there's one extra value gap that you can fill, whether it be, you know, done for you traffic, whether it be a done for you list building machine, um, totally depends on what you're trying to sell. Right. But my point is that you go out and you look at all the competition, you look at exactly what the competition's doing. You look at the commonalities of what the competition's doing, and then you look for the void, you look for the gap. And when you do that exercise, we're actually print the sales pages out and print the video sales letters out and kind of actually take it upon yourself to just sit there and read and think and look at what other people are doing, you'll kind of come to almost an aha moment of, okay, this is what they're not doing. If I take what they're doing and then add this extra piece to the equation, that's what will help me be different. And that'll be my unique selling proposition, right? Mm. So that's how I personally do it. You look over what everybody else is doing in the context of what your target market actually wants. And then you look for the gap that your target market wants that your competitors aren't providing. And then you go ahead and fulfill on that offer with your offer. And it puts you kind of into a category of one. I love that. That is a great strategy. Thanks for outlining that, Nisha. I really appreciate it. Um, So let's, let's talk about, you know, what do you do for fun? What's, what's, Outside of when you're when you want to relax, when you're done with the business day, what what's in Misha's uh, a daily routine categories? What happens? Yeah, so to be honest, man, since we launched um, February 29th, the very beginning of March, it's been six months of pretty much nonstop work. So it's been go 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 go, fourteen hours a day. Go to the gym, you know, for the couple hours that I'm not working, and then sleeping. 
because things went way, way, way faster than I expected when we first launched. And that's kind of a blessing, but it's also, you have to keep up with it, right? right so right. since launch of the Super Affiliate Network, and we did a million dollars in total revenue in the first five months, and that was just complete and total chaos. And that just kept me working around the clock for the last six months or so. And uh, that's really what my life's been. Sundays, I usually crash. So I can do that for about six days of the week. Sundays, I can crash on the beach and get some recovery. And I've hired on a few key people that have taken a lot of the workload off my shoulders that allow me to focus on kind of the more high leverage activities in the business. So for the last six months, though, it's just been go, 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 work, work, work. Outside of that, before I launched, um, like I said, I used to play tennis. I still play every now and then, not that seriously, but I still go out there, get out there and hit some balls every now and then. Like I said, the gym is kind of what keeps me mentally stable when I work so much, right? So there's a lot of stressors that come up with the business. There's a lot of kind of just sitting in front of the computer in general can be draining. I find that the gym and hitting the weights is both a way for me to relieve stress and then at the same time actually give myself more energy. So if I have to get stuff done in the evening, if I wake up and I work till four and I go hit the gym for an hour and a half, two hours, I then have more energy to execute on any other activities that I need to go ahead and do the rest of the evening, right? So going to the gym and also I kind of have a social life in the gym. A lot of my friends go to the gym. So that's my little portion of the day where I hang out with friends and get a little social. But, uh, Football on the weekends, I love playing football on Saturdays. Me and a gang, maybe 10 other guys play usually every Saturday morning. But uh, it's been a lot of work lately, man. But then at the same time, I really like what I do and I find it interesting and I love the psychology behind it and I love learning new things. And uh, I've always kind of been a little bit introverted, so it doesn't really bother me that I work a lot. So, you know, if you love what you do, it doesn't necessarily feel like work. So it's felt like an adventure for the last six months and it's been a lot of work, but it's also been a lot of fun. Awesome. Yeah. Misha, I, you know, I love your story. Um, I, I, I think you shared so many great, you know, uh, tidbits on this, this interview about, you know, limiting beliefs about how to get down to understanding who your customers are, uh, about really how to get started and, and put together uh, a plan that's uh, going to be effective and in, in getting a better understanding of the type of work that you need to, need to do in order to be successful. Um, so I wanted to know before we close out, uh, how can the baller circle get in touch with you and learn more about your business? Yeah. So I have my personal blog. It's MishaWilson.com. And that's kind of where I put out content. I don't do it on a daily basis. Oftentimes it's on a daily basis, but then I'll miss a few days here and there because I'm by no stretch of the imagination, perfect and the most consistent person. So my blog, MishaWilson.com, if you want to learn more about the Super Affiliate Network, you can just go to the SuperAffiliateNetwork.com, and that's kind of the corporate site that we've built out. And, uh, I mean, Facebook, I'm on Facebook, Misha Wilson. And, uh, yeah, just any which way. The blog is probably the best place to find both some content that I'm putting out and then also all the various links to my social profiles. Okay, perfect. Thanks a lot, Misha. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. I enjoyed it. That's our show for today. As usual, thanks for listening. Next week, I'll be speaking with business coach and mastermind host Alex Barker on the fastest way to start making money and the value of a mastermind group. You can check out the show notes for this episode as well as listen to other episodes of the Internet Ballers podcast at internetballers.com. Again, I'm Michael Pasha and happy marketing.
Thanks for listening to the Internet Ballers podcast. Through our guest stories, you will learn the path to go from struggling entrepreneur to internet baller. We'll see you on the next episode.